Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just a quick thing before we begin today's podcast. Are unpleasant symptoms of digestion getting you down? Bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, indigestion, IBS, bowel dysfunction, SIBO, colitis? Well, We are now accepting new applications for our group physiotherapy program. To learn more, go to ecophysio.com forward slash group and submit an application and we will get in contact with you once we receive it to see if it's a good fit for our program. Welcome back everybody to the podcast. So today on this solo podcast, I want to talk about something that is really important to me. And it's changing the way I practice my physiotherapy. It's changing the way I show up in business. It is changing the way I interact with others, my family, nature. And so today I want to talk about the need for a new paradigm to come through. And what I mean is that we have been in a highly intellectual, thinking mind dominant space or paradigm as a society. And don't get me wrong, our IQ, our intelligence, our thinking mind, our ability to strategize, analyze, uh, you know, really kind of think things through is really important. We could not have progressed in science and uh, all kinds of innovation and technology without our thinking minds. But what we have not perhaps become aware of is the downside of using our thinking mind to solve every single problem. And we have forgotten that we have other forms of intelligence that we can use that is outside of our thinking mind. And that is our emotional intelligence, Our heart center has a tremendous amount of information for us. And our body intelligence, our intuition center that lives in the core of our belly. And we haven't really appreciated that these areas, this emotional and body intelligence has any value. But I believe that, you know, a lot of the issues that we are seeing in our world and society currently stem from the fact that we are disconnected from these centers. 
so that if I'm interacting with you, but I don't feel you, I don't see you, I don't sense you, and you don't see me or feel me or sense me, there is a disconnect. And when I am disconnected, I'm unattached. And when I'm unattached and disconnected, I don't, there is room and space for me to do things that I perhaps would not do if I saw you, felt you, and sensed you. I mean, if we think about war and how much that devastates communities and countries and people and families, if I could feel that and sense that and connect with that, I would feel something within myself in my heart center, in my body, that would alert me to, oh, this this does not feel right, right? If I could sense that happening to me, I wouldn't want that to happen to somebody else. But we've become disconnected from that information because the only value that our society sees is our thinking mind, our ability to be productive, our ability to think and analyze and strategize where not every situation in life requires the thinking mind. And oftentimes, the thinking mind is being influenced by our emotional and body physiology. So it's really important that we begin to recognize that we cannot think ourselves out of every single problem. And that when we try to think ourselves out of every single problem, that keeps energy and vital information on lockdown. And we know that being locked down is not a great feeling, right? And again, if I cannot connect to my sensing, my feeling, my emotions, then I cannot connect to nature. And if I cannot connect to nature, then I see nature as something other, something to be dominated, something to be uh, overpowered. You know, I am at a place in my life now where the idea of, you know, going to see animals in cages really physiologically and emotionally creates a problem for me because I can sense and I imagine myself, what, what if that was me? Well, hence, we've all been on lockdown for the past three years and we've all gotten a, gotten a sense of what that feels like and imagine what that must feel like for other animals living in you know a four by four room. But until we see and feel and sense that, we are disconnected from that, which makes it um, easy to not think about it and to not care about it. And this is how environmental degra degradation occurs. You know, when children think that steak, I heard this saying that children you know, now are starting to think that steak comes from the grocery store, that they're completely disconnected from this idea that steak comes from a cow and that cow goes out into the fields and lives on a farm. There's this disconnect. And so if I sense that my food supply is coming just from a grocery store and I have no idea that it comes from farmers and people working hard and, you know, understanding how to work the land in order to get fruitful harvests, well, why would I care about the environment, 
right? Why would I care about the Amazon? Why would I care about, you know, chopping down the forest? I wouldn't because I wouldn't see a connection to the fact that that forest is also connected to me via the animals and the plants that I consume. So I'm really starting to look at my own emotional intelligence, my own body intelligence. And as I connect to these areas of myself through getting present, through slowing down, through actually sensing and feeling what might be going on in my emotional and body field, it's reconnecting me to things that I did not necessarily think about nor did I consider how important they are. And, you know, being a pelvic health physiotherapist, you know, um, in my studies of trying to support individuals who are experiencing some very uh, difficult conditions, very difficult sensations, and anytime, you know, I mention you know, that emotions might play a role or like, hey, let's take a look at what your body really needs here. It takes some time for my clients to understand the connection. For example, you know, I had a client coming in with um, overactive bladder symptoms and a tremendous amount of um, fear and uncertainty when leaving the house for various reasons, not necessarily just the bladder, but also the bladder and being concerned about the bladder sensations and what if they show up, what if I can't find a washroom. And we would, you know, I would initially assume, oh, this person has a tight pelvic floor because it's creating urgency, it's putting a lot of pressure on the bladder and Thankfully, you know, through my training and my my other courses, I have come to understand that, you know, that fear, that uncertainty, that anxiety is a symptom that there's a perceived threat in the environment. And when I feel threatened, certain body body functions, certain biological, physiological things are occurring in my body that may make my bladder more antsy. I, I remember going for my final physiotherapy exam and I swear I probably peed like 20 times in a row. I had no purpose in peeing. I had literally just gone 20 times, but that urgency, that sensation of needing to void because of the stress and the anxiety and the wanting to perform and the wanting to pass my exam. And if I didn't pass my exam, my you know, my life would be over as I perceived it. And my body took that information and was trying really hard to help me regulate and was also giving me a lot of information about how stressed I was feeling in that moment. But tied into that stress was a lot of emotional stress around, am I good enough? Am I going to be successful enough? Uh, You know, am I going to make a mistake? And if I make a mistake, what will that mean? And so 
just looking at a pelvic floor and being like, hmm, this is signs of a tight pelvic floor. Now the question I ask myself is, what is making that pelvic floor tight? Why is it sitting in this high tone? What has happened or what is happening in this person's life where the pelvic floor is creating tension? And the pelvic floor muscles are interesting muscles because we have conscious control over them and we also have automatic control or I would say subconscious control, meaning the autonomic nervous system, the nerves are also speaking to those muscles. So yes, I can consciously sit there and be like, oh, I need to squeeze my pelvic floor. But then I can also subconsciously squeeze my pelvic floor when I feel stressed, when I feel there's some danger in my environment, when I feel threatened or I perceive a threat. And again, these threats could be, you know, a financial worry. Uh, It could be uh, troubles in a relationship. It could be not feeling seen, heard, or validated about the experience that I am having. Um, It could be threats around seeing other medical providers and being worried that they're not going to believe me when I tell them about my symptoms and what's going on. So there's a lot of, you know, emotional things happening there. And there's the body sending these signals, right? Sending these signals to try to get our attention to slow down. And that is oftentimes the hardest part for us in this very fast-paced society is when we slow down, we get really uncomfortable. And if we get really uncomfortable, we don't know what to do with that discomfort, so we get busy. We don't allow ourselves to slow down. We don't allow ourselves to feel what needs to be felt. We don't give the opportunity to let the body speak its language, to give us clues. So for example, our heart, our heart muscle, and the nerves that go in and out of the heart are extremely intelligent and can tell us about our state of being, our state of mood. So when my heart is beating really fast, that may be a signal that my nervous system is picking up perhaps some sort of a threat in the environment, which may allow us to pause and say, huh, why is my heart beating so fast? What am I not seeing or what am I seeing or what am I thinking about or what am I feeling that is causing me to perhaps feel a little anxious, a little scared? But we don't pause. We don't think to say, oh, wow, my heart's beating really, really fast. I wonder what this is about. Or maybe my heart is beating like feels really slow and I feel sluggish. And what is that about? Oftentimes it might be signs maybe of uh, overwhelm, 
of not having enough energy, just being really tired. And what does my body need in that time? Well, my body's making me sluggish and making my heart rate lower as a way of saying, hey, today's the day to slow down. But we don't think to take that kind of information and use it to our advantage to support our body in better functioning, in better health. And that obviously impacts our mood. So the other piece around body intelligence that I wanted to talk about is like, have you ever sat down to think about you get a cut. How does the body know almost immediately that it's been injured? And how does it know that its next step is to run white blood cells there, run red blood cells there to create a clotting effect in order to stop the bleeding? How does it know to send in these very specialized cells that are essentially a cleanup crew. They go in there and they clean up the damaged tissue. They go in there searching for any uh, potential signs of infection. Uh, that's where our immune system shows up. And this is all happening simultaneously as like the cleanup crew is cleaning up the wound. You have the new construction crew coming in and they're bringing in the new building blocks that's going to heal our wound how does it know to do that like how intelligent is our body system that it knows exactly what it needs to do i don't need to do very much in terms of my own healing i just need to get out of my body's way my really if i have a cut really my only job is to observe it and make sure it stays clean so that it doesn't get infected, right? But it'll heal all on its own. It'll scab over and the scab will fall off. If we start intervening and picking at the scab, well, then we're creating a, a situation where our body has to work a little bit harder to heal. But if we essentially left it alone, it would continue to heal. And so... How often do we actually get in the way of our own healing process? And sometimes naturally so, because it might hurt. Or it might not, um, it might have some sensations that we deem as unpleasant, but are actually very intelligent, right? Pain is a very intelligent response such that if I'm healing a broken ankle, it's going to hurt if I step on it. That's very intelligent. That's really smart of my body to create such a sensation in order to protect the natural healing process. But we think of pain, oh, it's, it's bad. It must be bad. Well, of course, I've broken my ankle and it's bad that I broke my ankle because, you know, it's, it's, it's painful and it's, and it's uncomfortable, but the sensations of the healing process are really intelligent and really important. 
to ensure that that wound or that injury heals. And so really learning to understand the body. How can I best support my body in what it's trying to do? How can I understand the various sensations without getting afraid of them? And when we are disconnected from understanding our body, it's fearful to have sensations that you're not sure why they are there. And hopefully, you know, you're finding good practitioners that are going to help you understand pain. Because when you can understand what your body's trying to do, it's certainly less fearful. The less fearful I am, the less anxious I am, the less anxious I am, the less tense I am in my body. And when I'm less tense, I often will experience my sensations in a lower grade. So I won't experience them as uh, big as when I'm tense and anxious and upset. So pain education is a really important thing that we do. And I try to connect the pain education to the body intelligence to help you reconnect with your body. And there are no quick fixes. Now, it's normal. I want to state it's totally normal to want to find the 30 second quick fix. And certainly it's not a bad thing to try to find that 30 second quick fix. But when we get stuck in thinking oh, I just, I need the next quick fix. I need the next quick fix. The cost of that is we never actually get to the root cause. So if I'm only taking pain medications to manage my pain, but I'm not really doing anything else, I'm not really getting to the root cause, not really understanding where the pain is coming from. I'm simply just numbing it. And I'm not saying numbing pain is wrong. I'm saying it's actually really helpful if we can find those quick uh, solutions, those quick fixes that help us make things feel better. So it makes it a little easier to walk the journey of healing. But nobody said healing wasn't uncomfortable. And in fact, it serves a really intelligent process. And then it's our job to work with our sensations, work with our body, try to understand what our body needs so that we can best support the natural healing process. So, you know, I often think about, you know, when clients come in, for example, and they're having an issue with bladder urgency and frequency, I totally understand how disruptive that is. When you can't leave your home without thinking about where the next washroom is, are you going to make it to the washroom? What happens if you have an accident? That is a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety. And the stress and anxiety feeds back into the urgency, the frequency, and potentially the leaking as well. So oftentimes, you know, we need paradigm shifts when we're we're working with certain... um, symptoms. And so in this particular case around overactive bladder or uh, urgency frequency leakage, you know, I'll often say to my clients, I know it sounds paradoxical 
and even with my pain clients as well, that to relax around the sensation is what often the body needs, but it's very scary to relax. It's, it's scary to tense. It's scary to relax. But you, you, we can't support our body if we are blocking our own flow, our own energy, our own circulation, right? Because when I'm tense, it changes the circulation in the local area, and that's going to irritate tissue, which can make it then more painful. So oftentimes I'll say, you know, we need to, it's not that you're not going to tense your body. Like if I hit my thumb in a drawer, it's going to hurt. It's going to throb. I'm probably going to grab my finger. I'm going to squeeze it. I'm going to tense my shoulders and my jaw and I'm going to go, ah, ah, dang it, that hurt. And that's a normal response. I'm just not meant to stay there all the time. And for some people, the nervous system, the body stays in this activated, very tense phase. And it's like as if it doesn't get the memo. Hey, now it's time to relax. Do we even give our body the opportunity to even send us the message? Hey, it's, it's time to relax a little bit. And so oftentimes part of my treatment protocol is just teaching people how to slow down, how to pause, how to take a deep breath. I'm going to take a deep breath. Perhaps you want to take a deep breath with me too. And if we could take enough slow, deep breaths in, that would support the body in relaxing, in more surrender, in more letting go of control, letting go of needing to hold on so tightly, to work so hard. Our bodies work so hard to try to help keep things balanced. And we need to take pauses. We need to take those breaths. So when I feel that urgency to pee, I need to pause. I need to breathe to give my nervous system and my bladder a little bit of space. Because if I'm squeezing my abdominal wall, crossing my legs, clenching my pelvic floor, and I have this tremendous amount of urgency, I'm going to fatigue the muscles before I even make it to the washroom. Uh, an accident might happen. If I'm squeezing through my abdominal wall, I'm literally pressing on my bladder while I'm simultaneously trying to hold my pelvic floor. I'm giving my pelvic floor more work. And I totally understand that fear of, but if I let go, if I relax, what will happen? What if I have a leak then? And so part of retraining and, and is to come back to the body, to see what it does, to experiment, to learn how our body moves, what's going to happen. A lot of times when people do relax around that urgency, that urgency settles down. And then it makes it possible to be able to walk calmly to the washroom. And when I'm more calm, I'm going to be significantly more effective 
in utilizing my pelvic floor muscles because I'm going to have some room to contract them. But if I'm just walking tense and clenching and scissoring my legs as I'm trying to rush to the washroom, I'm not, I don't have very much capacity left in my system. I don't have enough energy in the muscle and in the system to support me not having an accident because I'm so tense, because I'm so afraid. And of course, tied in with all of that are certainly emotions, right? I wouldn't want to be embarrassed over an accident. That's totally normal to feel that way. But understanding that our feelings and our emotions influence our biology and our physiology, which influences the way that we think, the beliefs that we have. And so, you know, my work right now is to really work on my reconnecting to my body, my reconnecting to sensing and feeling. Because what I've come to learn in my many years of practice now is when I am settled when I'm more calm and present in my own body, I can sense my clients, I can see them, I can feel them, and I can connect with them. And the absolute power in the, in the, in the connection, in the relationship, when I'm able to sense, like I see you, I feel you, it has tremendous healing power both for the individual and myself, because we've made this connection that in some cases, words cannot describe that connection. And so I begin to ask questions more like, what is this experience like for you? That allows us to go a few levels deeper rather than surface level, like, oh, you have the symptom, okay, here's, we're going to do this, 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 and this. Well, that is important, and it's certainly part of the treatment protocol. But to, for me to truly understand, what is this person's experience of this problem? I become curious to try to understand, to sense and feel how they describe their experience what comes up in them what comes up in my own body am i tense am i relaxed do i feel sadness and grief or anger that gives me a tremendous amount of information about what this person is actually experiencing and how often do we have you know two three minute appointments with our physician It's like, okay, I have this symptom. Okay, such and such. Okay, here, do this, 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 and this. Or like, oh, okay, well, we'll send you for this test and like, you know, good luck. There's, we feel that. My clients will come in and they'll feel disconnected from their healthcare provider. Like they didn't actually hear what they were saying. They didn't see. They didn't believe. They didn't feel what I'm going through. And so oftentimes clients will feel brushed off, especially when they have persisting pain, right? Oh, it's in your head. 
And when we say those kinds of things, that is evidence of our disconnection, right? If I cannot, if there's no scientific evidence, you know, your x-ray came back completely normal, yet you still have pain. Because your x-ray came back normal does not mean that you don't have pain. What is the experience of your pain? What is what is your lived experience? What is happening in your body, in your emotions? And how is that impacting the way you think, the way you show up for your family, the way you interact with others, the way you show up at your job? All of those things are an important aspect of your lived experience. And there's deep information, deep wisdom, deep intelligence that is locked in, in our body and in our emotions. And so when we only go to the thinking mind, let me think this through, let me think about what the solution is going to be. And then we do the exercises that we're told. And we just kind of go through the motions of those exercises, we don't actually stop to become present to how does this feel in my body? Does this feel good? Does it feel not good? Does it give me some relief? What is actually happening in the body? How is my body responding to the thing that I'm actually trying to do? Is it giving me a sense of relief? Okay, and if I have that sense of relief, what can I do next? Or how can I keep introducing and reintroducing that relief. I get a momentary quick fix, but sometimes we stop doing an exercise because we're like, oh, well, the pain came back, so it didn't work. No, it worked. It was the temporary relief that you your body needed. And in that temporary relief, your body has some ability to recharge your you're, you build a little bit more capacity in your system to get through the day, to get through the next activity. And when we can use that exercise or use that technique and it helps us feel temporary a little bit better, and then I keep doing it and I experience temporarily a little bit better, and then I'm a little bit better. What if we kept moving toward that 1% better. Okay, this is just 1% better, 2% better. And then we start to get the cumulative effect of these sort of quick fixes that are not really quick fixes, but they are quick fixes. So it's paradoxical, like it's helping me in the moment, but my pain comes back. But anytime I do it, it helps me. Well, what if we just kept helping ourselves feel a little bit better and a little bit better? and a little bit better, and we just start building our energy, our capacity, so that we can tolerate more over time. So quick fixes aren't bad. Using pain medication after a broken ankle is not bad. It's wonderful that we have access to uh, strategies to help us manage our pain so that we can do what we need to do, within reason, of course, to get through our day so that we can change our lived experience of that. Certainly helpful to have pain medication when you need to do your exercise. Exercises are important in supporting the healing journey. 
but sometimes exercises are uncomfortable. So how do we move through allowing some discomfort, but not so much that it takes our pain over the edge? Well, if, a, if, if initially a medication is going to help us be pre- more present with the sensation so that I can do the exercise that's going to help me get better, right? Don't just go through the motions of the exercise. Really embody the exercise. Really become present. Your body has a tremendous amount of wisdom and it's going to let you know when enough is enough, when you need to move more, right? So when you get pain from prolonged sitting and standing, that's actually your body's wisdom saying, hey, time to change position, time to take a rest, time to do something different. Yes, it may be disruptive temporarily to the way you always do things. And it's hard because we have habits, we have routines. And there's sometimes anger and frustration when our routines and our habits are being interrupted. That It's uncomfortable to have our routine and have our uh, habits, you know, disrupted. And yet it is also part of the process, um, part of the healing journey. And if we can create a little capacity, a little bit of space, a little bit of acknowledgement that we're frustrated and angry. I, I certainly get frustrated and angry when something disrupts my, my pattern. But it's in, you know, if we're not acknowledging that and if we're not working through that because we've never been taught how to be with that, that can actually become disruptive to our healing process. So our emotions, our body, our thinking are working in unison. It's just when we give too much credence, too much focus on only the thinking part, I'm just going to think my way through this, we're missing a tremendous amount of information. And I believe tapping into that information on the individual level helps us then transmit that to our family. And when we transmit that through family, we transmit it to community and then through community into institutions, from institutions into culture and social norms. Just thinking about, you know, the way that we've been doing things hasn't been working that great. And it's interesting to see kind of like the old ways becoming the new ways. You know, I come from an anthropology major, so I've studied different cultures and different approaches to health and wellness. And it's so interesting because in the old ways, you know, emotions, they may not have labeled it that, but the body, the emotions, the thinking mind, the ancient wisdoms, all of those things were, you know, being used in various ways, like they were deemed important for their various intelligences. And I think it's time to bring back some of those older ways in new ways, because we live in a modern society and we do things certainly very differently than we did back then. But that doesn't mean that some of the wisdom is invalid or not useful in our modern times. So these are things that I'm 
really exploring, like really trying to understand within myself, how do I reconnect back to my body? How do I reconnect back to my emotions? How do I reconnect back with nature? And then how does that inform my relationships and the choices that I make in my life and my lived experience? And then how can I, you know, as I'm investigating this for myself, how can I, how does that then show up in me supporting my clients and helping them reconnect to their lived experience and helping them tap into this wisdom that they have and and then help them support their body's natural healing abilities and and how can we help people feel good this is this is an important mission for me and so that was a roundabout ranting on body intelligence and emotional intelligence and thinking intelligence and it's a work in progress what I have come to discover is the work is never done. There are always deeper layers of ourselves yet to be uncovered, yet to be discovered. And that's exciting. And uh, I think it's the new paradigm that needs to come needs to come in is we don't set aside our thinking mind, but we don't let it be the dominant force. We need to allow these other wisdoms to come in on an individual collective level. So I think I'm going to end my rant here and I look forward to connecting with everybody on the next podcast. And if you have thoughts or things, certainly feel free to connect with me on Instagram. My handle's at Madeline Golick, my name. You can certainly connect with me on TikTok. Been enjoying making videos and things on TikTok. Um, yeah, send me DMs, send me emails, send me messages. If you have thoughts, questions, comments, I perspectives, I'm I'm open to that. And just wishing everybody a wonderful day. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.